Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us from our campus in Bearspa, Ridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Last weekend, we started a new sermon series from the book of Exodus. Exodus is the redemption story of the Old Testament. It offers us a foretaste of the gospel. The parallels that we see between Exodus and the salvation themes of the New Testament are striking. Just as God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, in the same way God delivers us through Jesus from the enslaving power of sin. Just as he made a covenant with Israel and adopted them as his own people, he makes a covenant with us and he adopts us into his own family. And just as he walked with Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness to the promised land, he guarantees us his presence as we journey to the land of promise, the new heaven and earth. The story of Exodus is not just Israel's story, but it is our story. Last weekend, we talked about how Egypt was supposed to be a detour for the Israelites and not their permanent destination. But God's people settled down in this foreign country and became comfortable. They became so comfortable that they forgot the land of promise. Now, circumstances changed when a new pharaoh came to power. This new king said, we have to keep our eyes on the Israelites. They are growing in number. They are multiplying. Let's put our brakes on lest things get out of control. So he subjected them to ruthless labor, commanded the midwives to kill Hebrew boys at birth. And when that didn't go well, he passed an edict that all male Hebrew babies should be thrown into the Nile River. This was a dark, dark time in Israel's history. And they questioned, God, where are you? What happened to all of your promises to our ancestors? Why is life so hard? Hard times do not erase God's promises. God, in the midst of the hardship, was unfolding his providential plan. Providence is not a word we use in our day-to-day vocabulary. It has become outdated. But from a Christian point of view, providence is a powerful word. It is an encouraging word. It is a reassuring word. For there's nothing more comforting than seeing your lives through the lens of God's providence. Providence speaks of God's governance over this entire universe as well as our individual lives. In simple terms, providence means God knows what he's doing. At a time in Exodus when everything, humanly speaking, seemed to be going contrary to God's plan, his providence unfolds. Our scripture today is from Exodus chapter 1 verse 22 to chapter 2 verse 10. And if you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22 to chapter 2, verse 10. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, 
but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the power of your providence, that you are a God who is in charge and control over this entire universe, that you are in charge and control of our personal lives. So may that assurance fill our hearts today, no matter what our circumstances may be, Open our eyes that we will see what it means to look at our lives through the lens of your providence. So personalize this message for us and speak to us in the power of your spirit. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You all may be seated. So what does it look like to see your lives through the lens of God's providence. It means there is no such thing as blind chance or fate. There are no coincidences. Even at times when we don't fully comprehend everything, God knows what he's doing. A character in a fictional novel by Wendell Berry articulates this well when he says, often I have not known where I was going until I was already there. I've had my share of desires and goals, but my life has come to me, or I have gone to it, mainly by way of mistakes and surprises. The character goes on to say, I'm an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley, and yet for a long time, looking back, I've been unable to shake off the feeling that I have been led. Make of that what you will. Providence is a mystery because at the moment when you're making a major decision in life, you don't know the outcome. You don't know how things are going to pan out. You can't see a clear path ahead of you. God does not give us a roadmap or a blueprint for our lives. He doesn't reveal everything to us up front. But as you look back at your life in retrospect, you will see that you've been led by the Lord all along. And that is his providence. 
As I think of major life-altering decisions in my own personal life, I have way better perspective now than when I first made that decision. The decision to follow Jesus, the decision to serve in vocational Christian ministry, the decision to marry my wife, our decision to come to Canada. Every one of those decisions have had a a major life-altering effect. They've shaped me in a significant way. And when I made those decisions, I made them with fear and trepidation, not being able to see clearly where this is going to lead me. Some of those decisions had surprises built in, and other times it felt like they were total mistakes. But today, as I look back at each one of those decisions, I can say with utmost confidence, God's guiding hand was with me. It wasn't evident at the time, but now in retrospect, I can see that. Now that is true of every Christian believer. God's guiding hand leads his children and he superintends all of our life. There's nothing more comforting than seeing your lives through the lens of God's providence. Israel was going through one of its darkest times in history. They were under bondage and being treated ruthlessly. Now add to this, the great Pharaoh issues an edict sanctioning a genocide And here's a dark verse in our text that portrays unimaginable evil. Exodus 1.22, and Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. As I told you last week, Pharaoh saw the boys as a threat, because these Babies will grow up to become young men and they will fight back against the empire. So let's kill them while they are still small. And this order was not just for the midwives, but for all of Egypt. If you see a Hebrew baby boy, throw them into the Nile River. Can you imagine the horror of a baby being forcibly taken from the parents' hands and drowned in a river? That's how dark it was at the time. And in this dark period, a godly couple decide that they will not comply with Pharaoh's orders, but they were going to trust God to direct their lives. And they go on to make a risky decision. And at the time, they had no idea of how all this was going to pan out. But through this act of defiance, a beautiful story of God's providence unfolds. I'm referring here to the parents of Moses. While we don't see their names here in Exodus chapter 2, they are identified as Amram and Jochebed in Exodus 6. Everyone knows Moses, right? But Amram and Jochebed are the unknown heroes of the faith. But without them, there will be no Moses. And they played a crucial role in the unfolding of God's redemptive plan for an entire nation. Exodus 2, verses 1 to 2, it says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. 
When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. In the eyes of every parent, their child is the most beautiful. When babies are born, in the eyes of everyone else, they look more like aliens. Except the parents who go, ooh, and ah, and admire their baby all day long. Now, Amram and Jochebed were not just admiring uh, Moses' physical beauty, but through the eyes of faith, they saw the destiny that God had for their child. They recognized the culture around us is bad, but God's plan for our child is good. So we would rather fear God and raise him in the ways of God than merely comply and submit to the flow of the culture. And there is a parenting lesson here for young parents. God has a special destiny for the children that he has entrusted to you. And you are going to play a pivotal role in the unfolding of those plans. So we need the eyes of faith to be able to see we're not just raising kids, we are stewarding the destiny that God has for their life. That is the unique responsibility of Christian parenting. And it doesn't matter what the culture says, the world around us says, the government says, or the popular opinion says, you take an uncompromising stance on behalf of your kids. Do everything in your power and ability so your children will embrace the plans and purposes God has for their generation. When you live a countercultural life and refuse to go with the flow of the culture, God will honor your decisions. Amram and Jochebed defied Pharaoh's orders and kept the baby hidden for three months. You know, newborn babies are small, but they have strong lungs. And when they cry, you can hear them from a mile away. It is not easy to hide a baby. Now, when we had our firstborn in 2010, my wife and I, we were renting a one-bedroom apartment not far from here, right on Center Street. The problem was, it was an adult-only apartment building. And we thought, here's a cute little baby. Who's ever going to have a problem with it? And boy, were we wrong. <laughs> that sharp cry in the middle of the night was like a siren blowing. It could wake up the entire apartment complex. And months later, when he started to crawl, he started slamming kitchen cabinets and playing with pots and pans. But those who didn't know that there was a baby in that apartment would have said, who lives in that apartment? Their marriage needs serious help. It was only a matter of time before we received that dreaded letter from the property management company saying, your neighbors have complained that you're making too much noise, that you're slamming doors, and if such behavior continues, we will have to take immediate action. And we had to say to them, it is not us slamming the cabinet doors. We're not that kind of people. It's our baby. And that was the end of our stay in that apartment complex. <laughs> Hiding a baby is not easy. And Moses' parents 
tried hiding him for three months and concluded that was almost impossible. It's only a matter of time before he starts slamming cabinet doors. So what do they do? They come up with a different plan. Our text says in verse 3, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Considering the terrible circumstances, this is the best Jochebed could do. She had great faith in God, the destiny that God had for their son, that he has been entrusted to them for a purpose. So she placed the baby on a basket. Here's something interesting. The word translated basket is found in only one another place in the entire Old Testament, and it's the word translated as ark in the story of Noah. Just like the ark saved Noah from the great flood, in the same way this little ark was going to save baby Moses from the second longest river in the world, the Nile. Two different flotation devices serve the same purpose of preserving life in the midst of a watery grave. Now, I want you to just reflect for a moment on this choice of Moses' parents to place their baby on a basket and let him float down the Nile River. And from a human point of view, what are the odds of survival? A three-month-old helpless baby placed on a basket and floating down the second longest river in the world. There's something so wrong with this picture, right? Sometimes in life, we will be forced to make some critical decisions. And we have no way of controlling the outcome. You can't do anything in your power to manipulate your circumstances or chart your way forward. In moments like that, faith comes to play. We need to read our text in light of Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of the faithful of the Bible. Hebrews 11:23 says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith. See, that is the critical part here. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months, and then by faith, they placed him in this basket because it is their way of expressing their desperate dependence on God. By faith, they were defying Pharaoh's orders, knowing very well that that could mean death for the entire family. Moses' godly parents said, we just cannot go with the flow and follow the mandates of the culture. We have to take a stand for God. It is that conviction of faith that motivated this decision. Notice this. They first hid the baby for three months. They didn't say, our baby has a great destiny. He is invincible. Nobody can lay their hands on him. Rather, they do their part responsibility of taking precautions to hide him for three months. And then when that was impossible, hiding was impossible, they come up with yet another careful plan. 
Now, what we see here is the interplay between human responsibility and God's sovereignty in the decision-making process. We do what we can to the best of our ability. And after we have done our part, we leave the results in the hands of a God who is all-powerful. Now, our role in the planning process is critical, and we cannot take our human responsibility lightly. If a person is praying for a job, it makes sense that you also have your resume ready and start applying. A job is not going to fall from heaven down on your lap, but God will guide your efforts. So trusting God is not the same as being passive and doing nothing. But having said that, we can go the opposite extreme and take it all upon ourselves. And to me, that is a greater problem that we are vulnerable to. It is relinquishing the control to come to the realization that our careful planning cannot get us out of these problems. That we desperately need God's guidance to shape our lives and chart our course and direct the way forward. It is when we do our part faithfully, then God does his part. A beautiful illustration comes from how they make silk saris in northern India. A sari is a woman's dress, a traditional woman's garment in the Indian subcontinent. And they have the most beautiful designs. The wedding saris in particular are made of gold silk threads. The bride wears some of the most gorgeous, colorful silk saris that you will ever see. They are bright and vibrant, and the design is exquisite. When you go to the places where these saris are being made, you will be amazed to see they are such small, primitive setups, usually operated by a father and a son. They use a hand loom, which is a, a simple weaving device. The father sits on a slightly raised platform. The son sits on the floor. The dad takes all these different threads of varying colors, and the son operates the hand loom from below. And his job is to move the shuttle as per the father's instructions. The son's job is easy. He doesn't have much of a clue of the the larger design or the pattern, but he merely follows the father's nod. But the creative father who knows the design is doing the work of weaving the threads to form the most intricate pattern of art. When the work is done, you see the imprint on the sari. It's the design envisioned in the father's mind. Now think about this. If a human weaver can create a beautiful garment by taking random threads and weaving them together, can God not take the circumstances of our lives to weave a pattern that reflects the end design that he has in mind for us? That is the relationship between our responsibility and God's sovereignty in the decision-making process. We follow God's instructions one step at a time without being able to see the big picture, 
But the one who is weaving from behind knows what he is doing. He weaves everything together, and the end result is a beautiful masterpiece. At the time, Amram and Chocobed placed Moses in that little basket. They didn't know the outcome. They didn't read the book of Exodus. They didn't know how all this was going to pan out. They did their part, took a defiant stance to oppose Pharaoh with the hope and prayer that God will come through. And But for his intervention, all of this looked so hopeless. Chocoban kissed her three-month-old baby and let him go, not knowing if she will ever see him again. And all she could do was ask Moses' older sister, Miriam, a girl in her preteens, to keep an eye, see what's going to happen. And as the baby was floating in the water, Miriam followed him from the bank. And what we see is the extraordinary chain of God's providence unfolding and bringing about a change of events. At the precise location and time, who comes to the scene? Pharaoh's own daughter. A text says in verses 5 and 6, then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. One of Pharaoh's own daughters has come down to bathe in the Nile River. She is the one to spot this basket. She asks her attendants to bring the basket to her out of curiosity, opens it, and to her utter shock, she sees a baby in the basket. One look at the baby, she knew this was one of the Hebrew babies. Hebrew boys were circumcised on the eighth day. It served as a visible identification mark. Pharaoh's daughter was well aware of the edict of the land that's gone forth from her own father. She was as obligated as everybody else to keep the law. But the baby's cry melts her heart, and she feels tender compassion, and wants to adopt him. And Moses' sister is watching all of this drama unfold, and she decides to have a conversation with Pharaoh's daughter. He in verses 7 to 9, and his sister asks Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Miriam is a young girl, but you got to give her the Oscar for her acting skills. She keeps her composure, acts surprised, pretends like she's doing a favor for Pharaoh's daughter. Oh, you have a baby there, cute guy. I bet you don't like changing his poopy diapers. Why don't I do you a favor? Find one of these Hebrew women. They can do that job for you. And before you know, she's off, comes back with their mom, 
and introduces her and says, here's a good nanny. She will do a good job of taking care of this baby. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter says, that makes sense. Uh, let's go with this plan. Here you go. Raise this baby for me and I'll pay you. And what are the odds that this kind of turnaround will happen in the story? And all of this didn't pan out by accident. This is called God's intervention. God channeling the outcome of a decision of faith. And what happens as a result? Not only does Moses' mother get her baby back so she can raise him in a godly home, but now she's going to get paid to do that as well. There is no coincidence for only the Lord can orchestrate something like this. That is the providence of God. And someone said, coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous. And in this story, we see a series of ironies. Pharaoh's command was to throw the baby boys into the Nile River. And God uses the Nile River to create this divine appointment. Pharaoh issues the edict of death, but under his own nose, in his own palace, God is going to raise somebody who is going to defeat Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And talk about the irony of the weak overcoming the strong. God honors the simple faith of an ordinary couple and uses that to unfold his plan of redemption for an entire nation. The final verse of our text was then, it says, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. We don't know Moses' age, the text doesn't say, but he's now presented back to Pharaoh's daughter. She gives him the name Moses, which means I drew him out of water. And here's the final irony. The one who is drawn out of water will go on to draw an entire nation out of the water through the parting of the Red Sea. I tell you, there's nothing more comforting than seeing your life through the lens of God's providence. I'll close with the story. In the year 1979, a man named Dennis Waitley was desperately trying to catch a flight from Chicago to Los Angeles. He was running a bit late, and when he finally arrived at his gate, they had just closed the jetway. Dennis begged to let him on the airplane. He said, I have an important engagement to get to. I cannot afford to miss this flight. I need to take this flight. But no luck. They did not budge. They said, we're sorry, you were too late. Dennis was fuming. Out of breath and out of patience, he made his way to the ticket counter. and He was so upset, he wanted to register a complaint and rebook his travel. And while he was waiting in that long line, frustrated and angry at the airlines, an announcement came in the airport intercom. AA Flight 191 to Los Angeles had crashed immediately upon takeoff, 
and all 271 people on board died in the crash. Now that near-death experience had a life-altering impact on Dennis. Had he been on time and taken that flight, it would have been the final day of his life. And needless to say, he never registered that complaint. In fact, he took that flight ticket for flight 191 and put it in a visible place in his office. He had a frame for it. And on difficult days, the days when he felt like throwing in the towel, all it took was one glance at that ticket to regain perspective. For that ticket was a visible reminder that every day was a gift. Commenting on this incident, Pastor Mark Batterson writes, we have a tendency to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. The way we overcome spiritual amnesia is by building altars. We need visible reminders of God's faithfulness in our lives. Visual symbols that can speak words of encouragement that remind us of the power of God that we have experienced in our own personal lives. And I bet Moses' parents never got rid of that papyrus basket, that little ark that God used to change the destiny of their son and their whole nation. The papyrus basket served as a visible reminder to Moses' parents that God can change any hopeless situation. And we need those kind of reminders to preach to us, to help us to remember that our God is a way maker, that He is a miracle worker, a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. Our God can take the worst circumstances of our life. He can flip it around and turn things in such a way that we can be a beacon of hope to others. That's the God we serve. And some of you, you experienced that divine intervention at some point in your life. Because where you are today is only because of that. It is easy to succumb to that spiritual amnesia and forget what God has personally done for you. So my encouragement to you today is to build an altar, a visible reminder, something that you can use that will bring to your mind what God has done in your life in the past. There are others of you here. You feel like so lost. And you can't make sense of all that's happening in your life. And you need a fresh assurance that God is in control. He is in charge. He knows what He's doing. So even though at this moment in your life you may not have that perspective, I can say on the basis of the teachings of the Bible and through personal experience of God's people that there will come a day when you will be able to look back at those moments in your life and say, God had his guiding hand on your life.